You listen to 247 Real Talk. Once again, this is your host, Julian Perry, with you. On this episode, based on my previous episode, we're going to talk a little bit more about gun control. Since it's all over the media, all over the news, and everyone's mind. I'll be right back. So, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome once again to yet another episode of the 247 Real Talk podcast. It's my pleasure to be here with you. It is Wednesday, June 15th, uh, just before 11 p.m. on the East Coast. I'm in New York, and I thank you for listening to my episodes and for your continued support. And as I mentioned in my intro, last week I... I uh, aired an episode that had a lot to do with um, common sense and gun control, anti-gun, pro-gun. And I'm used to getting, you know, quite a bit of feedback on my episodes, but I did not predict the amount of feedback, the the the, the storm, so to speak, in, in on both sides. And so after having uh, conversations, lengthy conversations, and, and in some cases, WhatsApp conversations that went on for hours, for an entire day, with um, and face-to-face conversations with a couple of anti-gun people, a pro-gun person, and um, up-to-today a law enforcement um, personnel, it seemed to me that my idea for my podcast tonight will be put on the back burner and, and we'd have to have this conversation um, a little bit more. We have to talk a little bit more about gun control and my position and the position that the country's in and the laws that are being passed and the laws that make no sense. And, you know, as I as I thought about what I would discuss usually i write down notes and i write down points but i decided i wasn't going to do that this episode i'm just going to come right off the top of my head so a couple of days ago driving home i was listening to the news and as you guys probably guessed by now i listen to the news a lot and i don't listen to the news um necessarily always for information i also listen for the misinformation too anyway um, listening to the news, and the Pope was questioned about the war in Ukraine. And the statement he made was, you can't always uh, have a pro or con or good or bad uh, perspective about an issue. Many issues are complex and require discussion. And, you know, it was poignant that he said that because he wasn't talking about gun control, but that's applicable to probably almost every uh, situation or every every um, debate in life. And so, as I was thinking about it, 
you would have remembered me mentioning last episode that we need to listen to each other. And after speaking to some anti-gun people, as I said, pro-gun and even law enforcement, I'm just very sure that we need to listen to each other. You know, it's amazing that when I spoke to anti-gun people, how much they, how strongly they feel about their position. I'm now, don't get me wrong, people are all different. People have different levels of knowledge of the issue. But the ones I spoke to, one of them, I can't say uh, both of them, one of them had very strong feelings about guns in the anti-gun realm. He felt that uh, the Second Amendment should not exist. I think both of them felt that. His first immediate response was, you need to ban all guns. Why do you people need to have guns? And he couldn't see any reasoning. And, I, and the first thing I had to tell him was, if you wanted to have a discussion, that statement is a non-starter. Because you can't say, I want to have an open-minded discussion, and you start off with a sort of finite uh, mentality. Now, remember what I said to everyone before. I don't know what to call myself because I'm a real middle-of-the-road guy. There's nothing, and, and let me let me let me clarify that before we continue. I say middle of the road because I'm talking about common sense, but middle of the road is maybe not the best description either because there's nothing nothing anti-gun about me, but I have views that maybe some of my pro-gun uh, colleagues may disagree with, and so. When I, as I, I was as I continued this face to face conversation with this gentleman, this gentleman, eventually, I could see as the time went by, and you know certain things he asked me, and we sat there, we googled certain ATF statistics, and right in front of my eyes, his perspective started to change a bit. I didn't have long enough time for him to open up much, you know, as much as I would have wanted to, but he began to see at the least the need for dialogue because what he thought was, was not. Here's one of the examples. Media generally works on ratings. So publicizing, you know, or printing, you know, stories, you know, that are feel good. Yeah, those things happen from time to time. But they're not the front page news as 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 the 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 sensational, you know, stories. Okay, the ones that bring about controversy. Because as long as you have a story that brings about controversy that gives you anxiety and you need to know what happens next, you're gonna you're gonna keep following the news story. So news, you know, news media. They, they, there are a few. Um, I guess one I want to say independent news outlets that actually 
pursue the truth verbatim. But, you know, a lot of them don't. It is all about ratings, about survival. It's about getting advertisers and, and, and getting money. I mean, you know how much uh, news anchors get paid. You know, I, I mean, the first time I found out that people on, on NBC and these, all these, you know, Fox News and all these people, you know, the, the, the news anchors we watch every morning that become part of our lives, uh, you know, they get paid 18, 17 you know, million dollars a year. And you know, those, those are ridiculous amounts of money. And so it is obvious that the overhead of running an organization like that would be incredible. And therefore they need to make money. So advertisers need to pay a lot for an advertisement spot because their, their, their product is getting out to you know, millions and millions of people. And this, you know, this, these are things that were published that I'm, I'm going to reference by uh, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives. I think that's what they call it now. And one of those statistics said every year between 500,000 and 3 million citizens across the United States they successfully and legally defend themselves with their firearm. And they went on to say, but most people won't hear about any of these instances because most news outlets don't cover it. And I, you know, when you really think about it, that story kind of doesn't bring the same, uh, never gets the same coverage or doesn't evo invoke the same emotion as the opposite, where there's a mass shooting or something like that. And don't get me wrong, I, I am fed up of mass shootings. I'm fed up. And, and you know, if you think of someone who, is, who thinks that there's a, so much value in the, in the ability to have a firearm, even from the perspective of, of enjoying it as, as a sport like I do, you know, that's my right. You know, to go to the range, to shoot, to, to to be part of shooting competitions, to 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 practice and be skillful in it. You know, we know it's an Olympic sport, but people see the you know because that same instrument is the dominant instrument of violence. People overlook every other possibility that it can be used for, and every other possibility that most. Legal gun owners use it for. Another uh, statistic I read, and this was again from someone I believe was from the ATF. I don't. I don't want to call names because I'm not a hundred percent sure. But it said there's they estimated that there are around four hundred million guns in the United States owned by about a hundred million U.S. citizens, and most of those guns are never used in a crime. Now, that's a huge number. 400 million estimated guns, and I'm, I'm thinking that's a low-ball estimate. Because many times when you hear something happens, you know, there's certain states that have laws where, for instance, if you're a gun owner and you're a collector and you, you've been collecting for years and you have other people living in your house, like you have a son or a daughter, and that son or daughter happens to get into a domestic dispute with their boyfriend or something like that. In, in many states, if that happens in your home, until it's resolved, it goes through the court for years or whatever, one of the, the 
processes that 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 occurs is that they seize your firearms even though you had nothing to do with it. That's a fact. I know of actually someone indirectly who went through that. Um, and so the point I'm making though is many times when you go to these people's homes, you know, legally, because they've been a collector and there's just like any other item you can buy, you know, people have baseball cards that they bought for pennies that are worth millions. Well, there are guns out there that, you know, are, are you know, one-offs or they're, they're very rare or they're from, you know, a, a rare era, whatever it is, they have history with them. They go for a lot of money. And, you know, there's times when that those domestic things occur and when they, 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 they seize or, 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 yes, let's say seize or temporarily seize or whatever the case may be, the guns from the gun owner who was not involved, as I, as I mentioned, that person has 300 guns, 300 rifles in their home. It's locked up safely in safes, in locked, you know, away from everything that the, the, the issue of, the safety of the firearms. And I'm, I'm thinking of a, of a specific case. So this is not me making this up. I just don't want to give details of it because again, people's privacy is their privacy. But the point I'm making is, you know, over 300 rifles. I, I do believe eventually the person got back all their rifles because they weren't involved in, in the controversy and it wasn't anything really that was, you know, sometimes couples, especially young couples get into arguments and it may be a little push and a shove and, one calls 911 because they really heard about it or they feel that the other person cheated on them and they, they're angry at the moment. And then when it finally goes through the process, it was really more of a jilted you know, person or whatever. And that's the end of that. And I'm not saying all, but in, in, in some cases. But the point I'm making is if one person has 300 guns, you can understand that the 400 million guns across the United States is a low ball. And I do believe that term guns is used loosely because I do believe he meant rifles, handguns, or any sort of um, firearms. But the point that he made was almost none of those guns are used in a crime. And this was the point I was making in my previous episode when I said criminals commit crimes. I'm not saying that you don't have the situation where you have the gun owner who Careless, you know, is careless with their firearm and someone in their house gets hurt or killed because of carelessness. And in that case of negligence, well, they have to pay the price. But understand what I'm, you know, where I'm coming from when I say middle of the road, when I describe myself. I, this, these are my personal feelings. And so they're here for discussion. They're here for debate. They're not here for people to spew anger at me because that's not what this podcast is about and that's not what I'm about. But I believe that in the process of owning firearms, every person should be required to have firearm safety training. Every person should be required to probably have that training once a year. Every person should, I think, at some point should be required to do a certain amount of time at the range. You know, it's like you have a violin, you have a guitar, you have, you know, whatever you have, you can't know about it, you can't know how it shoots, you can't know, you know, make sure that it's clean and it's in proper working order, you can't make sure that you use it safely if you just buy it and put it up for one rainy day and then that rainy day you use it and you basically have no 
control and command of your instrument, right? So I believe that there should be certain mandatory things so that people who buy it for whatever reason, whether it's sport, law-abiding citizens I'm talking about now, who buy it for the sport, who buy it because they feel that it, you know they want to learn to use it and, and they feel that they they want it because they feel safer knowing that they may have the opportunity to defend themselves. Some people live in neighborhoods where there's a lot of home invasions. And when you have a home invasion, calling 911 is to clean up the mess. You know, you, you're there, you know, these movies we see where there's home invasions and the person's hiding under the bed calling 911. Yeah, that can happen, sure. But even then, there's a response time. And a lot of times these attacks are over in, 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 in minutes, on the lower end, in minutes. So having the ability to defend yourself, learning safety, learning what to do, and these are things that I can speak about because I've been trained as an instructor in these things, learning what to do in your home so that if you do have to defend yourself, you make sure that your family is safe. So if there is someone threatening you in your home with a firearm, someone breaks into your house, that if there is a victim, only that person is a victim of your of your firearm and not one of your relatives. These things may seem trivial when you think about it as an individual. But in a in a in a high stress situation, a lot of mistakes can be made. In a high-stress situation where someone breaks into your house, your blood is pumping, you know, whether or not they got to another family member or not, whether or not you got kids asleep upstairs and the person's downstairs, whether or not you can hear them in the house but you don't know where they are. And I'm going to talk about something else about that in a moment. But you need to know what to do. Even if you decided that your best defense would be to fire a warning shot, you need to understand where and how that shot can be fired to be because an error in even doing that can result in the death or injury to your own family member or even even yourself if you do it the wrong place in the wrong way and, and you give your position away right so there there's and you know there's there's I'm just saying all these things for you to understand that not to be scary but the reality is, are we, are we lying to ourselves if we think we don't live in a scary world? If you were, and, and, and let's look at the extremes as, as that conversation I said, and, um, and I'm only touching the first conversation right now with that person I had face to face. If you, to, if tomorrow everyone agreed to give up their guns, do you really think that everyone includes criminals? No, it doesn't. Do you think when you pass the law and say you can only have a 10-round magazine that the criminal really cares what law you are passing about the 10-round magazine? If you want that criminal to really care about that 10-round magazine, then you need to make laws that have a consequence that is so painful that they will think about that 10-round magazine. For example... Here in New York, we have this issue where guns are being brought into the state from outside of the state. 
So maybe if you find that someone is smuggling guns into your state, then you make the penalty. You know, I'm just making this up. If you're convicted, you do your appeal, you, do, you have due process of law, not, not a due process of law that's, 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 that's um, marred by systemic racism or anything like that, due process of law. And you find out that person is guilty. They got caught with the guns coming over the whole nine. There's no, there's an open and shut case. Maybe the penalty should be 25 years to life. Not the revolving door, but 25 years to life. You go sitting there with, with no eligibility of parole before 25 years. Go sit there for 25 years. The more of those examples you make, and again, this is my personal thought, my personal suggestion. Maybe it won't work. But I'm saying the kind of laws like that where that are punitive and, and the punishment is towards criminals and not law-abiding citizens. I, for example, I'll go back to the laws that were recently passed in New York. There were laws regarding micro-stamping and, 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 and that's a whole issue here. And I had that conversation with a law enforcement officer today because... If if I don't know what the statistics are or what the, the the data is, so I don't I can't quote it, so I can't really speak on it on in this podcast. But I'm not sure how many manufacture gun manufacturers produce firearms right now with micro stamping. So basically, if they don't, then you've essentially if you say that only guns with micro stamping can be shipped to New York, then you've essentially banned guns in a roundabout way, or you've or you've really realistically limited the amount of guns that can be sold in New York State. But putting that aside, all of the officials that I know that talk about this issue, all of our elected officials, have made it very clear all the way to Washington that the problem with crime in New York, and I'm only calling New York now because I live in New York, all of the crime that's committed in New York, the gun crimes, or the majority of it is via guns that are brought in from out of state. They gave several, <clears throat> they listed several states where every time they find out these guns are being used, they're not guns from law-abiding citizens in New York, they're not guns purchased in New York. <clears throat> They're guns that have come from out of the state. I think recently some of our officials went to Washington to have this conversation. So if there are guns from out of the state, and you can clearly see that it's not guns from the law-abiding citizens in New York State, then why are we making laws to further restrict gun owners in New York State when you're clearly saying they are not your problem? And I, and I say this because for, for a very specific reason. We want people to come together. We want people to, on both sides of the, of the issue, to listen, as I said, at least, or I want, I should say, to listen to each other. I want the pro-gun person to understand the fears, the anger, the grief of the anti-gun person. <clears throat> Excuse me, I've had a little cold. And 
I want the anti-gun person to be same way open-minded and listen to the concerns of the and the and the desires and the positions of the pro-gun person. I think that would be an amazing start because somewhere in the middle, I think it, I believe that we will get to the point where we really focus in on the real cause. The real issue with gun control. We'll find out that the criminals are the issue. The anti-gun people are not the issue. The pro-gun people are not the issue. It's the criminals are the issue. We will speak to our lawmakers and 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 we will we can join together, unite to say, hey, these are the laws that 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 need to be passed. We elect lawmakers and they go out and they debate and they come up with with laws. They work together in in a bipartisan way and come up like they did recently. Maybe the population, the anti-gun and pro-gun, should work in a bipartisan way as well and come up with with what laws we would like our legislators to pass. I mean, I'll be honest with you. There's a lot of violence right now going on in New York. I'm not saying it's more or less than the rest of the country because I don't know the statistics of the rest of the country. I don't live there. But when we have to go out and we have to go in certain areas, depending on the job you do, you know, sometimes people have to do jobs where they they have to go out in neighborhoods, bad neighborhoods to do a good job. Maybe I want to say today I'm going to this neighborhood. There's been a lot of violence there recently. I, I just want to come home to my family. So, you know, I want to, under my clothes, under my, above my teeth, whatever, I want to put on a bulletproof vest. And the bulletproof vest not only protects you from the bullet, but, you know, there's been a lot of stabbings, and it, it can be somewhat effective against stabbings too. I've lost that right to New York. Why? I understand that it is, you know, when you have a criminal and I think the federal law says that the bulletproof vest is illegal to possess in the commission of a crime or as part of, 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 of you committing a crime. But, I mean, we think about other countries in the world because we're always trying to compare to other countries in the world and say, well, America is the only country that has this issue. And I'm also going to try to address that quickly here. I, mean, I see the time's going. But, isn't it? I think in Israel, with the whole um, the the whole border dispute, the Hamas and all of that, I think a lot of those people bulletproof vests are part of their daily attire. We don't have that here. We don't have that type of threat here. But I don't think it should be something that should be restricted from law-abiding, you know, citizens. It is not a the gun still becomes the instrument of of violence, right? Not the bulletproof vest. And I think with the extensive and the great training that our law enforcement officers generally have, you know, unless you're wearing a helmet too, unless you're wearing bulletproof pants, there are a lot of other ways that our law enforcement officers can can take down a suspect even wearing a bulletproof vest. But to but because you've got let's use I don't know what number thirty people a year 
who might be in a situation. I don't know what the data is. I don't know what the statistic is, so don't quote me on that. But I'm saying because you have relative to the population of New York and the population of the of the country, you have criminals who have worn bulletproof vests that have prevented bullets from penetrating. That is a, if you worked out the percentage, that is like a point something, zero, zero, zero something percent of the rest of the population. And because of that point zero zero whatever percent of, of the entire population, you take the right away from the entire population. I mean, if you look at these things in, in, a, in a statistical manner, and you look at these things in a practical manner, I think there's much, there are much better ways, like I said, really focusing on criminals. And there are much better laws that we cannot only pass, but... You know, one of the things that pro-gun people say, and I have to agree with them, there are a lot of laws already on the books that are not enforced. That's one of the things that happens with the revolving door system, the criminal justice system. They're, they're not enforced. Another of my friends who 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 I spoke to with a lengthy uh, conversation, who is anti-gun, who believes it's the Second Amendment should be you know disbanded and and guns should be banned and all this, you know, said to me, you know, so what, do you want to put more uh, more people in jail? The jail is full of, you know, uh, I think he, he, we were also talking about the, 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 the effect that it has on different races and because and, I think his, he was referring to more black men in jail. And my response was, if they are criminal, yes. Why can't you have one system working to ensure that you have a fair justice system, a fair criminal justice system that's not punishing your minorities in an unrighteous or, or unlawful way or an, an unfair way, but same make sure that those who commit the crimes of that magnitude go to jail. I know we have the jails. Jails are full of people that probably, you know, there are a lot of people in there that probably should not be in there, but there are also a lot of people in there who should be in there. Is that a problem that needs to be solved? Yes, it is. But it can't. you can't tie every problem in the world to gun violence because you believe that the gun should do, the Second Amendment is, 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 um, should be, you know, voted out. And then I want, you know, we have to think about when, when, when anti-gun people talk about you know, getting rid of the Second Amendment. You know, there's a lot of other amendments too that you wouldn't like if people started using the same approach because you know what happens. There's a domino effect. All the other parts of the Constitution, you know, First Amendment, freedom of speech, they, you know, there's, there's these totalitarian countries where you don't have freedom of speech. So, you know, next thing you know, you're going to want to vote that one out too because it doesn't suit your perspective. That's not working together. That's not common ground. It doesn't have to be so radical to an extreme to solve a problem. We need to work together. Two people on two different sides of, a, of two different positions of an issue need to work together. We need to probably hold the media more accountable for the things they report not only in the manner that which they report them, not only in, in taming down the sensationalization, not only putting the ownership of the issue on the owner, not only making sure that they point out all the factors, including the ones in the gun laws that failed, 
Because whether we want to admit it or not, we focused a lot recently, for instance, on the shooting in New York, in, in Buffalo, New York. And we focused a lot because I think the it was only today that the 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 uh, the attacker in that case was charged with federal hate crimes. But we also need to talk about the fact that he should never have been able to purchase that rifle because he was in the system. He was the poster child for the red flag. And yet, all the mechanisms that are currently in place failed. He was someone who was given, according to the news outlet, and I'm hoping that that, that part was right, he was given a psych evaluation a year or two years ago, whatever, when he wrote that paper in school that, you know, that talked about shooting up a school or something like that. And you, and I believe he was put in in whatever registry is is exists for the red flag law. But somehow, those mechanisms, those those systems failed. So obviously, those things need to be tightened up. Then there's a 183-page manifesto he wrote about the replacement theory. We need to hold people accountable for the things they're posting on social media. We need to make sure that there's an alarm raised because it is my firm belief, and I and I have dug into some of these cases, and there's a lot sometimes, you know, you ever see an article in the newspaper where they give you a big story and then the most important uh, point of the article that should have been part of the story is in the fine print at the bottom? If you pay attention to many or most of these mass shootings and you dig into all the stories, the interviews with the families and all these things, you find out that someone says there were signs. I do not believe that a perfectly sane person who is not troubled mentally in any way, who is not filled with hate and rage and that, that has been existing and that has been building up and that has shown itself in, in smaller ways throughout their lives or the time that they've been here on this earth, I do not believe that a, a normal saying, uh, and I'm saying normal in quotes, huh? but someone who has never had any problem in life, someone who is kind-hearted, someone who gets up one day and goes and, and, and commits a mass murder. I don't, that's, that's, that's almost impossible as a human being. We are emotional creatures. We are, we are, we are, we, are, we, we, we evolve in such a manner that I think that anyone paying attention would see the signs. In some cases that happened in the past, I think there was one shooting in the movie theater, something like that, and the mom said, I've tried to get him help so many times, and I keep telling the officials, and you know they do a little something, and they send us back home. And then they, you know, the kid goes out and commits a mass murder. But those parts are always glossed over. No one takes responsibility for the fact that there were so many warning shots fired and every single person and system in that person's life failed to even acknowledge it enough to prevent that person from getting to the point where they committed that mass murder. So, it's, it, you know, it comes back down to not only listening, but I'm, I'm going to go a little 
further a little quicker now as I'm keeping my eyes on the clock. We have to be realistic about the time that we live in. There's a few more quick points I want to make, and I'm going to wrap this up. First one is when law when 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 law enforcement, yes, law enforcement has I've heard them say this, and some of our legislation, some of our political um, our, our official political officials. When they say, you know, we need to have armed security in schools, the armed security in schools could be carrying concealed so that the kids don't, you know, don't see the guns and and in some instances may not even know who they are. They could be in there as armed security and part of the part of their undercover role is 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 you know janitorial staff or whatever i don't know what the how you would implement it but i think at this point your parents say oh no we don't want guns in our schools our children are there for education yes they're there for education but i'll make two points very clear one you need to be realistic about where the world is now and the time that we live in those absolutely perfect scenarios that you want don't exist anymore. And the second point is, if an undercover team, and I say you need a team, you can't put one guy in the stool, you know, a team of security exists in the school and prevents someone who is there to do deadly harm to your child from inflicting that punishment so that your child gets to come home to you that night then your point is moot. Because the bottom line is, just like people who say, oh, ban all guns, those ships have sailed. We're not even in a conversation about what's right or what's wrong right now in terms of those conversations. We're in a conversation of what is What is the world like today? And what do we need to do today to keep our loved ones safe? What do we need to do in this violent, not only country, in this violent world today, wherever we are, to ensure that we're just not not categorized and, and we just don't live lives of helpless victims? Is it going to be perfect? No. Are there going to be some errors? Yes. Is there still going to be loss, some loss of life? Yes. But if I can reduce the loss of life through mass murders and all the things that are occurring by 80% or maybe even 50%, we've made a whole lot of progress. That's 50% of the people who were already killed in the last 20 mass murders that get to go home to their families. And then we keep working at it. The fact of the matter is criminals are becoming more sophisticated. The world is becoming more more of an angry place. We need to be proactive rather than reactive. And right now we're always in reactive mode because rather than look at common sense measures that realistically address the world the way it is, we sit there and argue about what should be. And... History has proven that arguing about what should be never works because we can't live in what should be. 
We can't live what the world should be. We have to live according to what the world is. I also spoke to one of my anti-gun friends who said, America is the only place that has this problem in mass shootings. Well, I got news for anyone who says that. Every country in this world, whether you want to accept it or not, or whether you want to put blinders on, every country has its own cross to bear. America is one of the greatest countries, if not the greatest country in the world, because we have we have people here of every race, creed, or culture, and culture. Is it perfect? Not by a long shot, but show me a country that is. Not by appearances, but by reality. I mentioned to that person that, you know, I remember a time when all I was hearing for a period of time was day after day, people were going into, in, in, in countries, let's say, uh, in the Middle East, going to the supermarket and going to worship and suicide bombers were killing them by the hundreds. Every time a bomb went off, 50, 100, 200 were dead. We don't have to deal with that. Our law enforcement our, uh, across this country has done a great job of, of keeping that kind of, 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 uh, of, of that kind of attack to, the, you know, to away from us at a minimum, if, you know, if, if not at all, if not got, you know, making sure it doesn't occur at all. There are other countries in the world where no one, none of the citizens have firearms, but they also have no say in that. They don't have freedom of speech. They don't have much they can do. And if and and and, and God forbid someone came to attack them, they would just die by mass numbers. Not because it hasn't happened means it is it won't or it can't. I'm not saying things are perfect here. But I'm still saying that whatever you frame democracy as in your mind, and of course I don't believe there's any true democracy anywhere in the world, but we have a lot of positives. And if we work together, we can remove more of the negative of the mass shootings, etc., out, you know, out of our society and out of our states and our cities. And it still comes down to we need to listen to each other. So there was, a, you know, the, I'll also touch on the conversation I have with a law enforcement officer because this is someone, a law enforcement officer that I met for the first time. And without elaborating on the circumstances of our meeting, and they were nothing negative, we met under very amicable circumstances and the conversation went to gun control, et cetera. And a lot of people talk about law enforcement officers who are, you know, who don't want people to have guns because, and this law enforcement officer was in complete agreement with people being able to arm themselves. Because his belief was that if you make sure that you're allowing law-abiding citizens, people who have shown you that they have no uh, criminal background or no criminal intent to protect themselves, that's a right that they should have. Man did not give man life. So man should not be telling another man that you have to give up your life because I won't allow you to protect it on your own. This is a complex issue. It's not the, oh, bang guns and kill the Second Amendment and that's the end of that. No. You have to look beyond that 
and you and an anti-gun person, I'll tell every anti-gun person out there, you cannot take that approach and expect change. I'm also going to tell every pro-gun person out there, we know that there are a lot of fears of what you feel can be stripped from us. But there's a need for the two sides to listen to each other. I can't begin to understand what a parent who lost their child in, in Uvalde is going through. I've often heard that the statistics say that in many cases when that happens, it sometimes destroys the entire, the, the entire union. The parents go through such an emotional battle that eventually they, they, they grow apart. It can destroy an entire family. But I can't think that can we make that the last time that ever happens? Can we make sure? And, and the thing is, what bothers me is almost every night in the news or every other night you hear about some kid now who has been arrested or something else because he mentioned to a friend or he wrote some paper or something saying that he was going to shoot up a school. I think there are even hoaxes being called in now to that extent. So I can't help think that if we have a bunch of, you know, depending on the size of school, we got all the entrances and exits covers and we got, a, you know, several, a, a nice sized team of undercover protection for our kids in the schools, that it might actually be a great way to spend our taxpayers' money while, you know, above some of the other ways that it's spent. For instance, not every person who comes out of the military is suffering from PTSD where we feel that, that, that they need help. A lot of people come out in the military in, in great condition with great skills, but depending on their MOS, their method of service in the military, it might have been all related to munitions, to firearms. Maybe those are the people now that come out of the military looking for employment that we engage as part of this security force around the country for our schools. They're well-trained. They're well-disciplined. They know stealth. They know firearms. They know safety. And we, tr we, we trusted them to, to guard our country against the world you know, with the right you know, background checks, mental health checks, and all the things we need to put in, you know, in place to make sure that we make choosing the right individuals, we should be able to trust them to keep our kids safe. The reality is wishful thinking does not solve a problem. And the reality is if we keep pushing each other we will never get to a place where we can have a general consensus and move forward. We will always be fighting each other and not the issue. Lawmakers creating and, and, and implementing laws that ultimately do nothing to prevent shootings and actually are only punitive, only punish law-abiding citizens it just pushes the, the two sides further apart and, and strengthens the resolve of, uh, of, of programs, of people like us who believe in that ability to defend yourself, who believe having that right to, to, to use it as a sport as long as you're responsible and law-abiding. Doing nothing 
and allowing these shootings to continue and people's family and people's people to lose their lives does nothing to bring the anti-gun people to the table to have a conversation. Because when you're in pain, and I've lost, you know, I, I've said here in a podcast before, I still, you know, I, I know what the effect is of losing a, you know, a parent as I have. So I can't imagine, and my parent, you know, died from natural causes. I can't imagine what these people face when they lose members of their family to gun violence. So you don't embrace them and bring them to the conversation by, as I used that term in my last podcast, rocking the baby, pacification. Pacification to by just passing laws to make it seem that you're doing something when all common sense says it will do absolutely nothing but put further restrictions on those who actually obey the law. The most recent package, I think they're trying to write it right now in the Senate um, for gun control measures. I would too would have liked to see more done. But the mental health issue and the issue of providing the budget for schools to actually have the type of security they need in our current society is something that should be done a long time ago. We, we have too many, we, we pick and choose too much that we don't pick and choose the most things, the things that are most important for our well-being. Why would people be protesting and arguing about, well, schools are for education, we don't want, that's not reality. No one is arguing with parents that school, I have kids in school, I want them to come home every day. If you tell me that there are people going into schools and shooting up kids, and you're going to prevent my kids from being shot by putting armed security in the school to make sure it doesn't happen, I'll be the first one in the line to vote for that. I can explain to my child why that, that even if it's not concealed, even if it's armed security with visible firearm in, in your uniform, whatever, I can explain to my child that those are, are security officers who are there to make sure they protect you against any bad person who's trying to do something to you. That's a lot easier to explain than why my kid goes back to school tomorrow and their best friend is missing because they were shot dead before the day before. That's a lot easier to explain than explaining to my kid why they had to hunker down on the floor of, of, of a classroom only to have police come and take them out as they stepped over their dead classmates. I'm being this graphic because it angers me to see that we get so caught up in what should be in this perfect world that we can't see what is and come together and do something about what is. It angers me because people still look at our pain as human beings in this society and in the world and wherever you go, and have such need for political capital, for, for their own agenda, that they play to whatever they see from us emotionally, and it's not about doing the right thing. It angers me about the theatrics that go on, I've said this before, about even the AR-15, when if you know firearms, if you ever studied firearms, if you would understand that there are many rifles that shoot that same round, and the only thing about the AR-15 that allows them that theatrical 
theatrics is the design because it's designed as it's a it's a mirror copy of the M16 assault rifle used in for military applications. The AR-15 shoots one round at a time. There's a lot of guns that have the same caliber uh, uh, shot. There's a 308 caliber, which is a larger round. Okay. There's a 300 blackout caliber, which is a large. There, 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 you know, if you know about this stuff and if you took the time to understand what you're fighting against or for, maybe your perspective will become more logical and then maybe we can make some real progress in keeping all of us safe. If you wake up one night in your home and you have family, I mean, if you're there by yourself too, it's just, but if you have family and you wake up one night in your home and there's an intruder in your house, whether you have an alarm system, because like alarm systems, like my alarm system will tell me exactly what window or what door was breached. And you know you've got kids. And, and, and if there's a possibility that a person broke in, which is a good possibility in the time we live in, has a gun. Maybe, where you, maybe you're on the first floor. There are a lot of houses. They have master bedrooms on the first floor. They have bedrooms upstairs where the kids are. So you can't get to your kids without exposing yourself. So what are you, you're going to hunker down now in your room, hoping that the gunman does, doesn't come into your room. You're going to call 911 and hope and pray that you can explain to the, to the, 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 the dispatcher, give them the, the needed information. Well, these days they don't need information really because they can pinpoint your location with a phone call. But get response over to you before that gunman decides to go up your stairs to your kid's room, before you understand what, why that person's in your house, whether they're just a, uh, uh, I'll use this term very loosely, a simple burglar, or they're a vicious burglar who will kill anyone who sees them or they come across. Now, well, no matter what scenario you're in and no matter who you are, the adrenaline that will go through your system will be the same. But if you have your firearm, if you have all the other things I've mentioned, which means that you have been trained in firearm safety, you have been trained how to respond. Again, it won't be perfect. That's a high-intensity moment. But it certainly gives you a better chance and in some cases, maybe your only chance of survival before you can get law enforcement to where you are. Again, I'm not here to sway anybody. I had long conversations, almost exhausting conversations this week because it's very difficult to have a conversation with someone who's so adamant by the point that they're not willing to see anything else. It's very difficult to have conversations with a person. You know, as, as I mentioned to one person, it reminds me of a mother telling a child, here, try this piece of broccoli. And the child says, no, I don't want it. Why don't you want this broccoli? I don't like it. And the mother says, wait a minute. I mean, you don't like it. You haven't even tasted it. Same thing. If you want to know everything about the other side, gun owners were once non-gun owners. But non-gun owners and anti-gun people, most of them were never gun owners. 
They never went to a range. They never held a gun. They never shot a gun. They never went to a competition. They never saw the sport except maybe on the Olympics. And then, so, but, you know, but then they want to speak about it in all aspects of it without even understanding what the other, you know, most of them say to me, I don't see what you want. No, you don't. I wonder what happens in a society where none of the people have the ability to defend themselves and their home invasions. And I believe someone was telling me about some country where that happens a lot. And when there's a home invasion, basically the result is the family's dead. Police couldn't get there or police got there to, you know, to clean up the scene, to put the tape over, to put, the, put you in the body bag. I'm not saying that the same can't happen even if you have a gun. I'm saying that if you have to have a fighting chance, you have to have a fighting chance. In today's world, even churches, even pastors are looking at it as God gave me common sense. If I'm living in a world of violence, no one, let me tell you something. I don't ever want to shoot another human being. I enjoy the sport. I'm a law-abiding citizen. And I would love to have elected officials who would listen to me and we can come to common ground and we can keep the criminals away and they can allow me to live their, my life and those who don't want any part of it can live their life their way. But we live in a violent country, a violent world. I'm, I'm making sure I put world with country because Every country in the world is experiencing its level of violence in a different way. It might not be as far as some others. It might be in, in earlier stages than some others. It might be different types than some others. But the fact is, human be it is my perspective that human beings around this world are becoming more violent. We're becoming uh, more confrontational. There are a lot of agitators in, the, in, in, in society now that didn't exist with our ancestors or they existed in a different manner. And I don't see it. I don't see it going in the direction where it, it decreases. The only way it decreases is if we with human beings with common sense, use our God given common sense, use the, the, the intent of us to live together in harmony Give each other their right to express. Learn to listen, which is an incredible power if you ever master it. Keep an open mind even though you have your convictions because you don't know everything and I don't know everything. And one of the most eye-opening things in this last week was for me to speak with anti-gun people because I listened. And what I heard them say allowed me to have this podcast tonight because many of them don't know most of the actual statistical truths. Because of what they see on the news, on TV every night, uh, breaking news, this one was shot, breaking news, this one was stabbed, breaking news, that's what they've been conditioned to. They don't hear breaking news. A woman was about to be raped and she shot her, her, the attacker. Breaking news. A man saves six children because he was able to shoot a, 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 someone with a gun or uh, someone broke into a store and was about to shoot and, and someone with a gun. They don't hear any of the stories 
are very few of those between 500,000 and 3 million stories of people who actually used it as a positive way. So, I don't know where you are on this issue as you listen to this episode. I doubt in this one episode, or these two episodes, the last one, this one, that I've done anything to change your mind or sway your mind. And that's not my intention. My intention is for us to start listening to each other, to recognize that no matter our convictions, we don't know everything. Therefore, if another human being feels another way, there may be something to what they're saying. And while we don't ever have to agree 100%, we need to find that, op- that common ground, recognizing that anti-gun or pro-gun, you have a com- we all have a common enemy. And that's the criminal who's making it horrible for the anti-gun people is also making it horrible for the pro-gun people. And those are people we need to be targeting. We need to understand where we can make a change. Stand up, unite. Put our differences aside and bring together our common ground. Regardless of pro-gun or anti-gun, our common ground should be self-preservation and preservation of the lives of those who cannot protect themselves. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Your will, not ours, be done. It's been an absolute pleasure to have this conversation with you. I want to thank all those who contacted me and engaged in great debate. I want to thank those who have a different perspective, who shared their feelings with me, that allowed me to learn more about them and how they feel, to be better able to help us work, even though we're on different sides, to come up with common sense and to accept the things we cannot change and have the courage to change the things that we can. It has been my pleasure once again to share this time and my thoughts with you. As always, I thank you for your continued support. Until the next time, be safe. Take care of yourselves and take care of each other.